Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 22 of the 24 Stories podcast, and this week we're going to look at the world of fine art uh, with a digital twist, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Alana James. Welcome to the podcast, Alana. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's a privilege to be here. Now, before we start talking about the art and where you are today in terms of, uh, I suppose, your your current exhibitions and so on, that accent, that's not uh, No, a I sound accent. like a yank. I'll always sound like a yank. <laughs> so what part of the state are you from? Um, I was born in California, but by the time I was four, I lived in Colorado and I've been in Ireland 20 years, and I still sound like a yeah. Yank. And I'm Irish. Been Irish for a long time. A long time. Colorado, like the Rockies, is it? The, the Rockies. Yeah. I am wired for water. So I lived in a mountainous terrain, yeah. kind of a desert mountain. And coming here is coming home. Like, as a four-year-old, going from California to Colorado, what took you there? My parents, of course, at four, dad had a new job. Yeah. And what happens a lot in the States is that uh, men get moved around by their companies. Okay. So it causes this uh, chopping and changing that goes on there that uh, until you live there a long time, you don't understand that any kid growing up will have 16 different friends because they move in and out of their lives. It's that hard for a child. Yeah, well. it's hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody. It's part of the reason, in my opinion, so I'll be very opinionated here. It's yeah. part of the reason that that life goes up and down so much in the States. Yeah, because they don't have the consistency. So, bit of history. I used to do work with um, ho- teens and especially homeless families. Yeah. And... It, I saw so I used to quote the the census data. And one of the things that's true is that between census and then 10 years later, the next census, 50% of the people in the U.S. would have changed home. Whoa, that's a lot in a so small space you're, of time. So uh, even if it's just a few blocks away, yeah. it's a change. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I can go on and on about that. It's um, not about art, but... One of the things that makes the United States such a complex environment to understand. And is that still happening today where people move jobs and move all over the country? And maybe, maybe, maybe COVID and because of people being able to work remotely, Rem- yeah. some of that will shift. Mm. You know, it used to be that employers thought you had, they had to see your face to believe that you were working. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, so I think just like here, maybe we'll be able to live in the place we want to live and work in the place we want to work. So that mountain area, you know, I've never been to Colorado. I've passed it all right in the plane, but I've never been actually on the ground there and looked amazing from from the skies. Um, did that inspire a passion for the outdoors and the and after? Or? It would have. It would have passion. It. My friends definitely were bit by the bug of the outdoors yeah. much more than I was. Okay. I was never a physically strong, let's go climb a mountain kind yeah. of person, but yeah. I sure had friends who were and. Started to ski when I was probably 12 or 13, but Mm. stopped it real quickly because my friends had all been skiing since six or seven, and they were swooshing down the hills. Came natural to them, I suppose. Yeah, it wasn't. So, What did you study in university? Oh, so so just a small bit of background that I was raised by an engineer. And so I was raised in an environment where things had to have rules. And I came across an art teacher in high school who 
gave me the rules art is based on. So mm-hmm. what color theory means, what pers- how to make a perspective work, yeah. those kinds of things then allowed me to be creative. So I went to college, much to the disgruntlement of the professors who thought I should be an engineer, um, and went into fine arts. And like your father being an engineer, what was his opinion on you going into fine arts? I think they were just happy if I got a, ca- a college degree. They didn't really mind. I don't, yeah. You know, I think they were much older than I was, and I think they were... I don't know. This might not be fair, but certainly for my sisters, if you got went to college, it was to catch a husband. Okay, yeah, you know, and yeah. so um, I I don't know that they thought about it much. They wanted me to be happy. They kind of parents who want your kids to be happy, which is one of the most important things anyone could wish for. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So. That teacher so set you off on a yeah a d- yeah completely I owe a journey. lifetime to her. I I uh, came in. I was on a radio station in Kerry, and uh, I they were talking just before I came on about the teachers that had inspired mm. them, and I I owe a lifetime to her because so a little bit what so I went to I, university. I got my bachelor of fine arts degree with art education. And I was supporting myself as teaching art, and some things happened. Uh, and then um, I had thought I'd wanted to be a famous artist. And when I got a taste of what that looked like, I shut it down. So well, then I go on, I have a life, and I always say, I'm going to go back to my artwork, mm. doing little bits uh, and never quite believing it. As yeah. you do when yeah, you say, yeah. I'm going to do this, and 30 years later, you still haven't done it. So recently... COVID happened, things changed, and I had the opportunity to really make this dream come true. But originally, why did you shut it down? What what, what happened? All right, now you're opening a conversation about Frank Zappa and the Zappa quilt. So I did what could have been a famous piece of artwork. Um, Do you know the Frank Zappa rock star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, A little bit about its music, very... Kind of bizarre instrumental music, yeah. uh, very popular, strong fan base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a girlfriend who uh, had an ex-boyfriend who was mixing his music. So we had backstage passes to a show cool. that was kind of close to where we were. Yeah. So we went up one night. We're in the audience. Uh, because it was a backstage pass, every time we sat down, the people who really owned those seats showed up and we had to move. <laughs> okay, yeah. So finally, we're tired of that and we're up in the the balcony where nobody's really sitting and we're watching the show from there. Well, up amongst the instruments, from the very beginning, there were laundry lines and women's underwear hanging from the, li- from the lines, which fascinated me. What's up with this? What's so this I. For? I went up and I'm looking at it. And then from the from the balcony, he starts, it was the Tinseltown Rebellion Tour. And he starts the tour by saying, okay, ladies, I'm collecting underwear. Um, it's going to be made into a quilt. And during the show, don't like Frank's music, never did. So uh, he's playing away mm-hmm. and women are dancing and they're throwing their, it's really a guess. I'm, yeah. Very interested in their energy, not so interested in his music. But I had a backstage pass, so we went back to see our friend, and I said to him, I want to do his quilt. Now, I was just finishing. It was my senior year, and I had had a girlfriend who had done a quilt, so I knew that a 
big piece of artwork like that is a commitment of six months to a year. Yeah. Big, to, big. It's a big project. Yeah. Um, but I also I I'm listening to this performance thinking, hmm, if I got to do his quilt, hmm, I could be famous. Hmm, that would be interesting. <laughs> so, yes, you got carried away. Person in my twenties, right? Yeah. So I go, I get the backstage pass. I meet him. I say, Frank, I want to do your quilt. He says, Sure. He actually had no idea what he was going to do or how he was going to get it done. Mm. So I was like a little gift, and he said, "I think you should stuff the bra cups," which was my ideas had already spun way past just stuffing the bra cups. Yeah. It turned out it looks like the Queen of Spades. It has Frank Zappa's face. The they're two side. The Queen is a two sided playing card. She has a scepter and she holds a flower in one hand. Um, on the red side, the rude side, the flower is um, a crotch. The the spade is a crotchless pair of panties, and the hand holds a garter belt. On the more traditional blue side of the playing card, he his face is masculine, and I think he holds a, a bra. Okay. Around the outside um, are that so the bra cups along the middle, cut them up, made little balls out of them for texture, uh, patched all the pieces of panties together for color, and then around the outside are uh, panties in order to. Take a woman's pair of knickers here, we would say, yeah. and um, uh, and make a straight line. If you stuff it, you don't get a straight line. You get a curved edge. So I had to put a piece of cardboard in them, uh, and then I could put a little bit more on the back and make it look like a little set of bums. And and these women had they'd written on them. They'd done. They were fantastic. They were little pieces of artwork. So I did them back and forth for the border. And I would, if I was doing it right now, I would hand you, Stephen, a piece of cardboard. Yeah. And I'd say, I'm going to, I'm making this quilt for a famous rock star. You can write anything you want. It'll never be seen. And do what you want. Okay. So what would you do, do you think? Probably do something controversial, probably, if you thought no one would see it. Or whatever. Yeah. Everybody has a different thing. Yeah. And then those went in the border of this quilt. So if you do a, a web search for Zappa quilt, you'll see pictures of it. And now you know that when you're looking at the border, there's a little piece of cardboard with somebody's message to the world in that Inside cardboard it. all the way around the whole thing. And like, how big was it? Ten feet tall, six feet wide. And what was the response when it was made? Okay. Oh, that's all right. So... It was this, could have been this huge uphill. Playboy closed circuit television, heard about it, came to me. Now, bear in mind, I'm in my 20s, so this is all really exciting stuff. Yeah. And came to me and said they'd heard about the quilt. Uh, Would I do a formal opening? They would like to film the opening. They were wonderful men. It was fabulous. We had a great, I um, worked with a gallery in Denver, there was the opening. People were waiting at the door to get in. That never happens for an art show. Yeah. It was terrific. And then Frank killed it. And what had happened was in his life, he always wanted to be taken seriously as an artist and mm. didn't really like this rock and roll world very much. Uh, and so 
He was then playing that year with the San Francisco Orchestra as their artist in residence. Okay. So he didn't want the panty quilt uh, publicity to come out in the middle of what he's doing as a serious artist. So people, people from all over, newsletter journalists, all kinds of people saying, Frank, what about this quilt? And he said, no comment, which just killed the story. Whereas if he had actually said, I love it, it would have just... It would have something, right. He could have said anything, really. Yeah. But no comment made it a story not worth pursuing. How did that make you feel then? Oh, I hated him. Yeah? Did <laughs> no, you ever talk to him out anymore? Well, no, he and I always had a really distant relationship anyway. So okay. we had an arrangement um, that I would split the proceeds, mm. um, which I did eventually sell it way after he died. Um, so there was nobody to split with. Uh, but... I was disgusted. Of course I was disgusted. You know, there was kind of an understanding he had used. On the other hand, let me just say there are a whole lot of other things because I don't really dwell on that part. He had put my name on the back of the Tinseltown Rebellion album and my address, which then caused fans from all over the world to write me letters. Did any of them turn up at your house? Nobody turned up at my house. Yeah. But... I, I have a I have a scrapbook of amazing letters, crazy people, yeah. some some a little disoriented perhaps, yeah. but a lot of them. One one of my favorites was um, as a something person. I'm fascinated with your zaba quilt, panty quilt. As a relatively civilized human being, I'm disgusted. See, there was this play between yes. it, yeah, um, and it was fun. And I was traveling for my living at the time, and so. If there was somebody that was in one of the cities that I was going to, I'd write them and say, you know, I'm going to be there. Would you like to meet? And yeah. of course they did. And I, I'd meet up with these fans and we'd have dinner. And it was just, it was a riot. I loved it. If there was a recording the voices back then, it would have made a great podcast series. <laughs> actually, going out meeting podcast. all these people around the it's, world. It still makes a great story. And actually, yeah. it still plays out on the web. Amazing. It kind of brings you into that world of fandom, doesn't it? That, it, that you know. Oh, spot on. So that's what I didn't like. Okay. So I I loved the fans and I loved the adventure of it all and I loved the getting the quilt done mm-hmm. and I was very proud of the piece. Yeah. But after I did the opening, I had a experience th- uh, that made me uncomfortable. Okay. I was walking along and a stranger came up to me and, oh, aren't you the lady who did the Zappa quilt? Yeah. But they weren't looking at me like we were having a conversation. Okay. They were looking over my shoulder, like yeah. all excited to hear me. And yeah. for the for the person listening, I'm looking over Stephen's shoulder right yeah, now to see how, how on me here at the moment. where it is. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You want somebody to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. You don't want some, and that's what I think is the wrong, the thing that's wrong with fame, is that we aren't looking at them. We're looking at what we know about them mm. because of these pieces. So it makes it really hard to be honestly there with people. And would I be right in saying around the same era, you would have had the likes of John Lennon being shot by one of his fans and stuff like that. Would that be around the same time where, you know, where fandom kind of got to the extreme? So we're talking, we're talking uh, 76 to 83, that kind of time Yeah, period. so it was about two years after, because I think John Lennon was 1980 to 81. 
So, the, but you know, so the whole celebrity gig, it's always, yeah. and people make it a big deal, and businesses are playing off of people mm. because they like, uh, they feel connected to an art, yeah. to a musical art. Yeah. It happens much more in the musical than it more does so in than others. Else. Maybe we're seeing a bit of it in sport nowadays as well, where they're oh, maybe yes. a bit fanatical of sports stars or whatever, or, or influencers, uh, you know, people that are famous for being famous, I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's like exactly Andy Warhol, right. 15 Minutes of Fame has expanded, hasn't it? Exactly right. And you wonder then at what point do they think, does this, is this feeding them? Is this feeling good? Mm. Or does it feel, at least for me, yeah. I can only speak feel. for myself. For me, that one instant of that one person looking over my shoulder made me say, I don't want fame. Mm. And I had, I really thought I did want to be a famous artist. Thank heavens, actually, because it's really hard to be a famous artist. Yeah. And you really put yourself in a lot of places if you don't have the natural trajectory yeah. to be there. So I had a good life. I was an academic. I've done lots of really interesting things, as I did little bits of artwork in the background, as lots of people do. But how did you shift then from being an artist to an academic? Like, did same you have to do mind. extra studies? It's the same mind. Actually, that's why I said started with the fact that um, it was an engineer that I was raised by an engineer. Yeah. Because um, if you're a person who's curious, yeah. then all of these things feed the same portion of your soul. Mm. You know, you want to find out about things. You mm. want to figure out how things work. Mm. You like the adventure of doing that more mm. than you like the actual other things. Yeah. And so it fit. And I... You know, I had gone on, I had worked in nonprofits, working with teenagers, because I taught art. I taught art to high school kids, so that made me good with high school kids. Yeah. And then I wanted to use my life to help other people, and so I worked with um, violence prevention and uh, drug abuse prevention. They all have little pots of money where yeah. artists can do things in schools, and so yeah. I did that. Uh, and... Then I worked for a very big company in New York, and they had a lot of PhDs in their environment. And I just wondered if I wanted to get a PhD. So yeah. I learned about that, and I did that. And, and what was the PhD in? Educational leadership. It's actually an EdD, but essentially the same degree. Doctor, of, I'm a doctor of educational leadership. Educational leadership. And so, the, so did you want to get in and kind of help uh, make a better standard of education? Did you feel that there, there was, uh, you know, maybe the standards could be improved in terms well, of, you know? see, I was always a student who was a good student but didn't fit. Yeah. And I think schools don't do well for students who don't fit. Mm. I think they're, they could do better. And some students who don't fit who weren't, didn't have the background I had, mm. end up doing things that kind of put a stopper on their life, maybe for a big time. So we see teenagers doing more drugs than they can handle yeah. or uh, getting involved in crime because of drugs. Mm. In the United States, as we all know, and it's just awful, there's a violence issue that goes with that. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about particular part of our population who are still too young to know better. Yeah. And school is the only thing that society has consistently to interface with these people. Yeah. 
So I, that's where I was interested in educational leadership. Not so much the, are we teaching the right things and should we teach it with a high stakes test or should we teach it with a going out and having experience, but more how can we have so much variety in our educational system that every student will find a place where they fit. Going back to that teacher that you had, did you kind of want to find more people like that and help to bring out the best in teachers maybe? So that's my drive. But then I got jobs that were about violence prevention or okay, were about yeah, this. So yeah. so there's some constraint yes, there. Yeah. Um, but that my voice has always been the voice of... That's actually why I'm really pleased to be here. What's your story? Yes. And and how did your story evolve? Yeah. And how did you get to be where you are? Yeah. And how yeah. can we help yeah. people who are along those where we know other people's stories? How do we put it together better for people? And, you know, when you give kids, like teenagers, I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe from troubled backgrounds, when you give them a piece of paper and stuff like that, mm. do they put their frustrations on those pieces of paper? So much of the time, the kid who fits nowhere else fits in the art room. Yeah. Because there's that magic that comes. So adults will say, oh, I can't draw. Because somewhere along their line, their life, they tried to do something and they didn't have a guiding hand to help them get it done the way they saw it in their head. There's Art is about this distance between what we have in our mind as possible and what we actually produce. And it's this big, if you look at it this way, it's this big game. Mm. It's a game you never quite win, yeah. but you always get better at. And so yeah. therefore, it's a really good game. Yeah. And um, so if you are lucky enough to have someone help you at the time you're first engaging with that game, then you like to play it. And it'll be something that comes under your life that you know you can sit down with a piece of paper and you can lose yourself in yourself in a way. Yeah. yeah. And it's brilliant. And I think it's musicians probably mm, have yeah, that. Yeah. That zone. Athletes yeah. have that zone. Art is one of those zones. Anything with a bit of creativity, I'd imagine, has that zone. Yeah. And it's where really the human spirit just shines, isn't it? It's Even the ability to tell a story is an art form, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can tell it in different ways. We can speak about it. We can visualize it. Okay. So now I have to, can I jump on to what I'm doing right now? Because what you just said was what I was thinking about driving in here. All right. So just to give the listener a little bit of backup, I spent a couple of years when I came back to doing art as a professional artist, developing a vocabulary. And that vocabulary includes these bubbles with pictures in the middle. And why the bubble? Because everything is just a moment in time. So if I'm telling a story with my artwork, I'm mm. acknowledging the fact that that bubble is just at this moment. Yeah. So I developed, I put a couple of years into these things. And then I will be 70 next month. And as I'm turning 70, I'm aware that there are societal pressures on being older that are different from the societal pressures of being 40 and 50 and even 60 because then you're in the getting things done side of life. People are asking you what you're doing. People are asking you. But when you're older, 
people don't know what story, questions to ask. Yeah, they're afraid to ask you, what are you doing today? You know, or, it, what's happening <laughs> next week? Or you know, Yeah. Right. And if you're getting to be older, mm. your fears, you, you know, somebody who's brilliant, who's 95 and she's doing fabulous. Mm. But you also know some people walking around with walkers who hurt all the time. You have, you might be facing your, I mean, there. Mm. it's a complex. Very complex. Part of life and we don't have good trajectories. We don't know what to do. And I'm not knowing what to do. So I decided I was going to do portraits. Oh, and I also went, I have to say, I went to Venice to the Biennale, which is this mind-blowing art experience where artists are given whole buildings just to do their artwork. So if you have your artwork in a building, it left me thinking, what... What am I saying with my work that's worth having it giving a building to? Yeah. And all those things came together, and I started doing portraits of people over 75 years old. So picture, you come into an art space. The ones I'm doing as the art form will be two and a half meters tall by one and three-quarter meters wide, so oh. long, skinny. The people... Digital collage. So the people will be life-size looking you in the face, mm. and around them will be, mm, the background will be the places they grew up or things that come from their lives. And there will be these bubbles of moments in time that they think, when I talk to them, are important to them okay. about life. Yeah. So I think, and and I'm working with these people, to Build a portrait that is their statement of what it's like to be 75, 85, 95, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it it's fabulous. I'm having great conversations with wonderful people and their families and everybody else that comes into it. But this is now answering your question. A story is a story from many points of view. Yeah. So if I go to a place, as I did last week in Whitechurch, and... The daughter is very much wanting her mother to have this portrait. The mom is okay with it, but doesn't <laughs> matter so pushed. much. Yeah. <laughs> um, the daughter has all these all these stories that are her mom's. Yeah. But what is her mom's story? Yeah. What does she say? So I just am finishing up one, and um, the woman and I. Uh, my story about her is that. Her husband died, rather difficult storyline there, and taking care of him for a lot of years, raising three kids, um, living in a very small town in Ireland, a pretty typical, strong Irish woman story. And then she's become an artist, and now her artwork is being shown. But her son looks at the picture, and he says, Mom, it's too busy. Do you really need to have the picture of you painting there? Okay. So you see to him, the portrait is mom, the story with dad and us, yeah. the kids. Yeah. And the, Where she's having another chapter but, of her life. Right. And that's my story because yeah. it's my artwork. So yeah. I've got, so she and I just had this conversation. And I yeah. think, um, so yeah, I'm in the middle of the same thing you just mentioned is a story can be told a lot of different ways. And it depends on who's got, who the stakeholders are. 
And, and we've seen that, like we talk about art forms, we've seen that with TV series and films lately, where I think it could have been Quentin Tarantino would have been one of the first to do it, whereby they take it from different angles. So the same oh. story is told three or four times. Like I'm, I know there was a series on, on, on TV there a while back, I think it was called The Affair on HBO, and they had three or four different people telling the same story. But of course, they're not the same story. So, so there's a classic book. Um, it's called the Alexandria Quartet. It's four books. Mm. It was written by Lawrence Durrell. If you're familiar with the Durrells, yeah. it's written by that son. Okay. And um, it, it's about Alexandria in a particular part of time. And the first story is this kind of mm, young man who falls in love with this glamorous woman. By book number four, it's exactly the same thing. By book number four, she actually is a spy. And other, so each, every book unpacks this differences in what people think, how they see each other, how they relate to each yeah. other. The young guy thought this, the older people thought this. Very funny. Is it also the case that people, you know, do you know the, the term, you're exaggerating that story. Do you know someone would say that to you? Is it a case that even in our own minds we see it differently as well at times? So that we'd see the same thing happen but in two or three ways or we'd imagine that something has happened but it hasn't happened at all. So then I have to ask, and I think every one of your listeners can answer for themselves, I personally believe we create our own reality. Okay. And that reality is how we're seeing the world out there and how we're defining it ourselves mm based upon our context, based upon what we believe. Mm. And then if we define our own reality, is it even moral for us to impose our reality on other people? Yeah, yeah. What I'm getting from you is that you kind of walked away from something 40 odd years ago, but it's you're nearly taking it back up where you left off because the portraits sound like the quilt. Am I right in saying that? You even are, the size. actually, they're even busy. That's a very, that's a very keen thing. And I hadn't thought of it, but I, you're spot on, I think. Because the, the quilt was very busy. Yes. And these portraits are very busy. And they also are moments, moments in time. they're also moments so in time. So obviously yeah. back then there was someone throwing a knickers on a stage and they were writing a note. <laughs> and it, but, you know, I hope that's not happening at the no. moment. But. <laughs> no, no, you're exactly right. And these portraits will be these people at this moment... And, you know, uh, fingers crossed they all live. The 75-year-old yeah. lives to be 95. Yeah, yeah. But um, whatever we are right now in our life, and I'm hoping, I have this I have this long-term image of what these portraits will look like if they take over a whole hall. Yeah. And if you walk in and you're looking at each one of these people, I hope that you then leave thinking about age and thinking about the stories people have so that the next time you're at a party where somebody older is sitting in the corner, mm. you feel like you have, you can go up and say, so what's your story? Yeah. And it's okay to ask somebody. Some of the best stories we've had on this podcast have been our older guests. In particular, like, I think of Tony, you know, this year, I think he was our oldest guest, Tony O'Connell, and he was a photographer and he was able to tell us all these fascinating stories. And he's not finished yet. He would tell you he's not finished yet. How old is he? 75 this year. Ah, I see. He could just be at the beginning age of my portraits. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, you know, and you know, I think it's fascinating because... You know, we've we've had from Crowley's opticians in, you know, we've had so many different 
kind of individual stories. No, it's great to hear young people as well, but a lived life is amazing as well, isn't it? Well, and don't we all want to be the one who has the well-earned, lived life yeah. that has the stories to tell? And there's much more of people living to an older age now. Well, medicine did that for us. Yeah. For good or for bad, um, medicine has done that. We, uh, So we, I know three or four people in their 90s that would have never been true. Although, mm. if you look in Ireland at our cemeteries, you'll always see older people. Yeah. Um, I think people here have always lived longer. There have been some people living longer. But there's going to be more of us. But I have an opinion that we don't want to go down the route of more nursing homes. No. We want to go down the route of figuring out how we can incorporate. Um, we've done a pretty good job of incorporating people with um, mental disabilities into our communities. Yeah. Let's let's figure out how to do that with old people as well. Yeah, yeah. Much better way to finish your life, like rather than ending up in some place. You know. I have a my friend who's ninety five. It gets a a year. Her family gets two weeks of respite from yeah. the state, and she calls it going to prison. Yeah, because for Is her, she in her full senses, she's she has her. She's mobile and yeah. she's intelligent. Yeah, and she's in a place where people have lost their mobility and yeah. lost their ability to connect. Yeah, so she it's horrible it's for her. Torture. Yeah. 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 Can imagine somebody that's taken away from normal life into that confined space. So one of the people I'm hoping to do a portrait of is um, I was just told about him, but so fingers crossed I get this one. He's 101 years old. He lives in Passage West. Yeah. His family have set it up so that his house has um, open empty rooms, and if somebody needs a place to stay. They know that they can send their family or whoever on. Do a couple of hours of work, help the guy keep his house up, help the guy do whatever, yeah. and then you have a place. So he has he has people coming and going he can relate to, yeah. and they it's useful for the community. Um, and he's a farmer, and so it sounds like a really excellent story. I'm hoping I can do it. Yeah, and is there commonalities in the different stories that you're getting so far? Like, like so for example, the people that are able to tell you their story, are they surrounded with others every day? Like, there, I, that's a very, very interesting question. The people I've done so far, the younger ones have been women who heard what I was doing and wanted to be part of it because they were happy with their lives and they wanted a portrait to say, congratulate myself, I'm here. But the older people um, have been people who have family or someone surrounding them. Yeah. It's it's important. Or a friend. I have a, there's a woman in Kinsale, she's 95 or 90. And um, I have her, her best friend is in her 70s. And so I have both of them together. And when you see the portrait, you'll see they just really, there's a lot of wonderful, warm communication there. So she she doesn't have much of her mind in that she wouldn't remember tomorrow that she saw you today. Yes. But she would remember what she did in the past, and she would also know what she likes and doesn't like. She's able to guide her own ship as long as people 
don't require her to know what day of the week it is and what she had for lunch yesterday. Um, Those things go away, but the her of her is still there. The big parts remain. I think the soul of the person is still there. The most important bit, really. And, like, you know, when you put together an exhibition like this, like, can you make money from it? Is there a living out of it? Oh, okay. So, um... Who knows what the future will bring? But yeah. I, the trajectory looks like, first off, being an artist, you're, one of your first hurdles is not having a bunch of canvases laying around that nobody buys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. So that hurdle is taken care of with this. My work is digital. Yes. And the people I'm doing so far, each one of them wants a print and I will print, I, I work with Canvas Works and Kinsale and very high quality printing. And we'll get, you know, a 24 by 36 or whatever size they want. I'll get them to print it. And then I will embellish so it, it isn't just a flat print. It has a little bit of depth to it. And then I'll sign it, personal sign. So that's a piece of artwork on their walls. And that will pay for... Um, the bigger piece okay. that I so do... So the smaller piece, not the 2.5 meter going into the house. No, I'm trying no to think but the house. smaller one, um, I charge uh, three times the cost of the print. Yes. So that extra goes to pay for the bigger one. Yes. All right. So then it's a, then it's a me living the life I want to live kind of thing. Now, there will also come a time... When, for instance, the first four will be shown in Ballymaloo this summer, okay. um, July 1st through August 6th at the grain store. I hope everybody who listens to yeah. this will we'll go, go out and yeah. have a fun day and go, see the sculpture and yeah. come in and see the first four yeah. big prints. Um, and then a whole bunch of other people that I'm doing that I that I uh, am very happy to be part of an art group and they're taking over the whole rest of the grain store. The uh, At the end of the day, though, those four will then become more. Somebody will give me a bigger haul. I'll print more of the ones I've done. Okay. So until I have a lot, and then then it's kind of magic. For instance, the uh, Irish Examiner wrote an article. Um, Ryan Tuberty put me on for seven minutes. Whoa. Um, little things happen. You yeah. you invited me here. These things add up, and who knows? Where, who knows where the road will take you? Yeah, yeah, and I'm 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 uh, having a conversation. Fingers crossed with um, Age Action. Yeah, yeah. Um, because their mission and my mission go along together. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that they I can donate some artwork to their fundraising events. They can. You know, are they interested in having this kind of work as mm-hmm. their face? Who knows? Things happen. People see things. People call. And when I'm 95, will I have a a, a, a um, installation at the Venice Biennale? Why not? Maybe. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> who who, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And meanwhile, it's a great life. And speaking of the great life, how did you end up in Cork? Okay, so I'm my um, uh, my wife is and I are traveling. It's the first time I've been out of the United States, and I first went to Italy to see the Sistine Chapel and to do some yoga. And she wanted to come back to Ireland. And as soon as we landed here, I felt at home. 
So we're traveling around Ireland, and by the time we get to Carrie, I'm looking at her and saying, you know, I could live here. Uh, and she said, just like this, she looks up at the ceiling of the car, and she looks around for a minute, and she goes, okay, you orchestrate it. I'll come. That 30 seconds changed our world. I went on about my trip by being the person I am. I'm like, can I do this? I investigated whether or not I would be allowed to own property here. Okay. Coming out, you know, what are the laws like? How can you do this? I began to investigate that. And we came back the following February to see Ireland in the worst time of year. Um, because in the United States, Many people move to Seattle and then are very unhappy when it rains all the time. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted to come here. Well, uh, this is February, uh, and the daffodils are already blooming, and the dolphins came to the inner bay in Kinsale. I don't think he came at the worst time of the year, actually. <laughs> I'd say you should have come in October, November, maybe, if you were coming for the worst time. <laughs> I felt to us, it felt to us like the universe was saying we had to move here. So the two of you moved here? The, but it, we had a 10-year plan, and uh, we got the house going, and we were renting the house out when we weren't here and coming two or three times a year. And by year three or four, I'm looking at her and saying, I want to, I, I don't want to go home. Yeah. I want to live here. Yeah. And we made that move. And you haven't regretted it? Oh, second best decision I made in my life. First best was my partner. It was meeting her. Absolutely. Yeah. Being with her, yeah. absolutely first best. And really, those are those are the things that when we look back at our life, what what are the influences? Meeting the right people, loving the right people, um, it being in the right place. Yeah. You must have felt fantastic when the marriage referendum was passed here then in this oh, country, did you? Un- unbelievable. Absolutely. I never, I never thought it was possible. So we we have been quote unquote married five times the first time well, the first time we committed to each other it had to be through a lawyer making a legal power of attorney and yeah. medical power turning all those things so that bad things didn't happen if one of us died okay. then the second time it was um uh something else and then it was the being able to um uh, the big party the big everybody coming and having a party here was civil uh, partners. That's right, yeah, yeah. I never expected marriage. So marriage for us was um, uh, our best friends, uh, two el- uh, elderly people who'd been together forever stood up with us at, in Cork because we'd already had the big party. <laughs> so you, you had to, what you thought was, was going to be... Was going to be it. Yeah. It was always going to, uh, yeah. So the real deal actually ended up kind of being... Being a, the second, yeah. Yeah, second fiddle to the... Because you can't invite everybody yeah. back for another really big party. Then they'd have to give you another present <laughs> as well. Yeah, so, so no, the whole the whole being accepted for who you are, it's so important. Yeah. And like, as an American looking in on Ireland, like a lot of Americans would think we're kind of a maybe a backward country at times. Well, they certainly have some weird opinions. Like we would say we are now this is 20 years ago, so maybe it's different. But when we would say we bought a house here, they assumed it was it, it was a, a single room cottage. with. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, yeah. They would see pictures of yeah. our home and they'd go, you could see their preconceptions going away. But no, Ireland's part of the EU. Ireland's a European state. 
I don't know how many people think that we're backwards anymore. I think it was probably film made it that way, didn't it? For a long time, stereotypical characters in film. Hey, and look at look at what just the yeah. one, yeah, the banshee <laughs> doesn't help didn't, didn't help in that regard <laughs> yeah. either. It's not right? modern Ireland, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so if they're expecting that when they come here, yeah. And, and in between all that, you had your own business as well. Did I see? Oh, that? I did. I uh, thank. I could not have done this without Enterprise Ireland and and the Leos. Um, Ireland is really a, the very best country I can imagine for an entrepreneur to try to want to get something started. So my little niche was as an academic who had moved halfway around the world for where the universities that knew me were. I took the slice of. Again, the student having trouble in school, yeah. the master's student and the doctoral student who weren't getting their thesis done. Yeah, uh, I took that particular need, and for a decade, I did webinars, and universities paid me to broadcast those webinars to their students. You were ahead of the curve. I was. When they all went to Zoom and COVID, you were doing that. I was doing that. And actually, COVID was a mixed blessing on the first on the upside of it, I got several new universities that knew about me and mm-hmm. said, oh, now we really should do what she's doing. On the downside of it, though, when the students became really tired of being online all the time, yeah. their uh, registration and attendance dropped. So I'm, uh, I, I am retiring for my own reasons, but I'm just as happy to be getting out of that business now because I think it's going to go through a whole nother pivot and yeah. that will be difficult. And what was the name of the business? Or? Doctoral Net was the the name Doctoral of the business. Net. And, and is it, are you selling it on? Or uh, you? Actually, I was lucky. Well, no, the answer, the short answer is no, but I was looked at seriously by three different other companies who would yeah. be interested. Um, didn't quite fit and it's very niche. So, what I am doing is I've taken the webinars, the 450 hours of webinars, and I've packaged them in um, clickable PDFs that then the same universities can hand out to students when they need that particular Whoa. topic. Yeah. So um, I'll have a little bit more income as those universities pay me on for another couple of years to to own the material. So like a license fee kind of. Yeah, kind of, only given in a, here you have access to these PDFs. Their students will go on to YouTube, unlisted YouTubes, so that they can get in because they have the URL. So that kind of helps you with the art career then as well? Yeah, it does. It's a bit. I'm also 70, so I've got pensions here and pensions in the U.S. So I'm not, you know, yeah, all of a sudden your your finances go from this big to this big, Mm. but we'll make it. Yeah, and do you find as you reach the 70 mark, like, do you need... The same amount of money, or like, are you kind of happier, more content, or what? What happens? I, you just you can't, you can't. So I would say you definitely don't see the reason to spend a lot of money to do something that has a ten-year trajectory in it, because in ten years, um, I'm likely to have downsized to a place that's more in can sale. Yeah. Um, there. So you begin to see that life brings changes, and mm. those changes might require a different set of the and clothes. 
Yeah. How many clothes do you need? That's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could wear the same hoodie and the same, you know, I have two or three hoodies that all look alike, and they are probably what I wear three-fourths of the time. Yeah, which are very cool for a 70-year-old. It's great to see a 70-year-old wear a, a hoodie. I know it's, oh, it's not Is there any piece of clothing that's more comfortable than yeah. a hoodie? I haven't found it. <laughs> and maybe all the other pieces of clothing you could make them into a quilt to get people to write a story <laughs> on them. Maybe, maybe. So, like, there's just, just, you know, there's lots more things that you can do. No, we finished the podcast, Alana, with three questions. Okay. Oh, okay. So the first question um, that I ask everyone is, what tip would you give another business to help build a brand? No, I'm thinking of your business, Dr. Lynette. There's mm. probably other people. Like, how did you build that? How, what tip would you give someone? It's, I would give two, two tips. Okay. This is Irish businesses. They might not be the same tips for everybody, but yeah. for, for every business, everywhere in the world... Um, I think it's a common mistake that we don't go out and investigate our buyer well enough. We don't understand their story from their point of view well enough. Mm. So it takes two or three years of the interactions to figure out some things that you might have copped on to quicker if you'd done better strategy work at the beginning. Uh, in my case with the universities, I did not understand... Um, that they are skeptical of working with businesses to the extent that a university is skeptical of giving up any part of what happens with the student to a business. Yeah. Um, I so, but that was my story. There, I think it's typical that we don't listen well enough yeah. to our customers. Um, the other thing is that I was very skeptical about paying for PR. Okay. And perhaps I would have been more inclined to do a lot of PR work myself. Yeah, and hope as I know how to and and hope it hits. Yeah. Absolutely in Ireland pay for good PR because the people who are in that business know the people and in Ireland the handshake counts for a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a golden <laughs> handshake. No, there's no money exchange. There's then. no money. There's no money, but it's, but to it's have goodwill. somebody to have somebody where um, she calls and says hi, the person has, you've had enough good experiences with her, you're going to listen to what she's going to tell you. Yeah, yeah, makes all the difference in the world, and it's really paying off in the art world. Brilliant, because people are saying you're everywhere. Well, I'm everywhere because of Lucy O'Donoghue, Excellent. and because she is believes in is me working on your behalf and is. And is taking the time to call back, to follow up, to do all those things with people I don't know that she knows. Brilliant. The second question I have is what tip would you give an individual? And now I'm thinking, I think the latest stat that I have from from my own uh, podcast is that about 20% of our listeners are over the age of 65. Okay. Seriously? Yeah. So, and that that might surprise oh, people. Oh. So, my t- my question to you is: What tip would you give someone that wants to revisit a passion that they had maybe at a younger age? Oh, absolutely, go for it. Absolutely, go for it. But get help. So, I have. Um, I was a coach. I coached masters and doctoral students who were having trouble. I know the value of a really good coach. Yeah. And so, when I started to go back into art as a professional, I got a PR person and I have a mentor. And that person, I, I, at the end of every month, I show them what I've done this month and they 
hint about several things, other things I could be doing. And that keeps my mind fresh and it keeps the trajectory and adventure so, so worth the investment. So don't do it yourself. Don't do it yourself. We can't be islands. We we stumble around. We lose. It, just having a meeting that you have to come to once a month makes sure that you get a yeah. bunch of stuff done. Gives you ownership. Absolutely. All the way down. It 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 cuts back on the likelihood you're going to procrastinate. Yeah. It, yeah, it's just like your homework, really, isn't it? It's really like being is. back in school. Yeah. It really is. No, we need help. Yeah. And um, in Ireland, go to see what your local enterprise office has to offer you because yeah. uh, their support can be all the way through my business, either enterprise at Ireland or the Leo, depending on what I was doing in the business, were helpful to me. Oh, good deal. And the last question we have a sponsor of the show called Skillsbase, and we're looking to see. What skill do you think is essential in an industry? And I'm, I'm very interested in art. What, what skill do you think is most important to be an artist? In my opinion, what came to mind was project management. Okay. It's not something people would associate you with have, art. You, but it's, it's, it's in every world. What do you have to do? You have to bring all the pieces together and manage a complex situation and have it come out right. And mm. in art, um, the Pieces of that complexity are your own practice. So how well do you draw, paint, do digital work? How well do you do it? It, Will your work stack up to people who, there's always going to be people who do it much better than you. Where are you and how good is your work in a technical way is one part of it. But then how are you going to sell it on? Because um, unless you're, and, and, Maybe some people are very happy with things being a hobby and being very small, and I'm not in any way denigrating yeah. that. But if your dream is bigger, yeah. then you have to take the how does finances roll into this picture. Yeah, because otherwise... You're stuck with a lot of canvases. Yeah. You can only give your family a canvas so many Christmases until it becomes really embarrassing. <laughs> so is that the skill a lot of artists are actually missing? Because... Yes. Uh, uh, maybe discipline, maybe? Like, as in to make sure that they, they're organised, work it out. Yes, we can be creative, but you need to have a plan. But And so there are um, brilliant online organisations in Ireland, there's I'm a member of the um, Visual Artists Ireland VAI. Um, there's also a global group housed in the UK, a Visual Artists Association, um, and then there's several in the United States. So you can you can Google how do I sell my work, and you're going to get lots of people who have built a business to help you get ahead. And for reasonable costs, you can go to webinars, you can get ideas you would have mm. never gotten. This is a multi-layered art is the art of museums and curation. It's also the art of Instagrams and selling to people mm. just across. I mean, there's many, many layers. So you have to figure out where your layer is mm. um, and go from there. And project manage it from yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. I took... I took a booth at the Marina Market for six weeks last fall yeah. to put out the canvases that I had done as I was developing and just to have people talk to me. 
kind of research feedback. Right. I mean, it was also, I sold a few pieces. I, it was a losing proposition financially, but yeah. it wasn't that much loss. Yeah. And in the meantime, I knew that when people, when just general people saw my work, they were likely to say, oh, that's unique. Oh, those are beautiful. You know, that though I, I got an understanding of where it fit in the general population. Yeah. It's fascinating. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with, with all these digital projects that you're doing. So you're coming to Ballymaloo? We'll come and have a look at it. Absolutely. And I'm waiting to see you when you're when you're in, in Venice uh, displaying all your work. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> you will have forgotten me by then. <laughs> well, it's an excuse to fly over or something else. <laughs> Absolutely. So really looking forward to it. Thanks a million. Um, this has been such a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed it. And um, I think it's great what you're doing you. um, for telling the stories of people. So let me just say, if anybody listening knows somebody over 75 that they think is a particularly keen person for a portrait, they should go to E. Alana James, E A L A N A J A M E S, all run together.com. The E stands for Emily. So E. Alana James.com. And get in touch. And get, get in touch. Be a, you know, sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. Tell me you heard this. Tell me you got somebody. I don't charge anything for the portrait. Okay. I do it for this broader piece of artwork. The rest is just. Something, if you want something nice to put on the family wall, you can talk to it's that. reasonable, right? I have to wait a while. I'm a bit off that. Yeah, you you're not 75, but you might know somebody, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. You know, I bet everybody out there is going, hmm, maybe that person. It might be a nice gift for somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, thanks a million, Alana, for coming in. It's been a joy. Thank you. That wraps up this week's podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillsbase app which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile-first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.